I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to examine the foundations of our faith, to explore the implications of faith on daily life so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Well, today's show has actually been pre-recorded. We did that just because of time constraints and the ability to get our interviewee on the phone. The reason that that's important to point out is that the topic of today's conversation for us who are recording it is still impending. But for you who are listening, uh, it's likely and it's expected to have already passed. And so you have knowledge that we who are having this conversation today don't have. Uh, Today, of course, we're talking about the impending decision in the Supreme Court uh, on the the constitutionality of state bans regarding same-sex marriage. Now, I don't expect that there's going to be anything inappropriate on today's show, but if that's not a conversation that you want your children around right now, then then now would be a good time to shuffle them somewhere else. Or, you know, you can wait until the beginning of the second segment because we're going to be starting, as always, with our readings, our prayer, and our readings from Scripture and from church history. Now, I want to point out that uh, today's readings, uh, I didn't go searching for them. I didn't go looking for them. The, the prayer we're praying is from the breviary from evening prayer for Saturday. Today, uh, the, um, the the readings from Scripture, they don't connect quite as well, but they are from today. And the reading from church history comes from this week in the breviary. And it just so happens that these things lined up in, in a way that helps with our conversation. Later in the show, we're going to be discussing this topic with our favorite anonymous guest, uh, who for now we'll call Cornelius Vusistis from his uh, from his secret bunker in the, the mountains of Yugoslavia. Uh, so he's going to be talking with us about uh, about this topic because he lives in a place where this is already the law of the land. Uh, and he's going to give us some very good insight in how we can, one, keep ourselves out of trouble legally, uh, at the same time, still be able to uphold the truth that the Catholic Church teaches. So, let's go ahead and begin our time together in prayer. We give glory to the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in our weakness, we pray, Lord, be with your people. Holy Lord, Father all-powerful, let justice spring up on the earth. Then your people will dwell in the beauty of peace. Lord, be with your people. Let every nation come into your kingdom so that all peoples will be saved. Lord, be with your people. Let husbands and wives live in your peace and grow in mutual love. Lord, be with your people. Reward all people who have done good to us, Lord, and grant them eternal life. Lord, be with your people. Look with compassion on victims of hatred and war and grant them heavenly peace. Lord, be with your people. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. O God, who through the grace of adoption chose us to be children of light, Grant, we pray, that we may not be wrapped in the darkness of error, but always be seen to stand in the bright light of truth. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, 
who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Today's first reading comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 18. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the terebinth of Mamre. As Abraham sat in the entrance of his tent, while the day was growing hot. Looking up, he saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran from the entrance of his tent to greet them, and bowing to the ground, he said, Sir, if I may ask you this favor, please do not go on past your servant. Let some water be brought, that you may bathe your feet, and then rest yourselves under the tree. Now that you have come this close to your servant, let me bring you a little food that you may refresh yourselves, then afterward you may go on your way. The men replied, Very well, do as you have said. Abraham hastened into the tent and told Sarah, Quick, three measures of fine flour, knead it and make rolls. He ran to the herd, picked out a tender choice steer, and gave it to a servant, who quickly prepared it. Then Abraham got some curds and milk, as well as the steer that had been prepared, and set these before the men and he waited on them under the tree while they ate. They asked him, Where is your wife, Sarah? He replied, There in the tent. One of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will then have a son. Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent just behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, and Sarah had stopped having her womanly periods. So Sarah laughed to herself and said, Now that I am so withered and my husband is so old, am I still to have sexual pleasure? But the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I really bear a child as old as I am? Is anything too marvelous for the Lord to do? At the time appointed, about this time next year, I will return to you, and Sarah will have a son. Because she was afraid, Sarah dissembled, saying, I didn't laugh. But he replied, Yes, you did. (laughs) That reading comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 18. Today's responsorial psalm is not a psalm at all. It comes from the book of Luke, chapter 1. The Lord has remembered his mercy. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The Lord has remembered his mercy, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. The Lord has remembered his mercy. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. The Lord has remembered his mercy. He has come to the help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. The Lord has remembered his mercy. Today's gospel comes from the gospel of Matthew chapter 8. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion approached him and appealed to him, saying, Lord, My servant is lying at home paralyzed, suffering dreadfully. He said to him, I will come and cure him. The centurion said in reply, Lord, I am not worthy to have you enter under my roof. 
Only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man subject to authority, with soldiers subject to me. And I say to one, Go, and he goes. And to another, Come here, and he comes. And to my slave, Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Amen, I say to you, In no one in Israel have I found such faith. I say to you, many will come from the east and the west, and I will recline with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the banquet in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom will be driven out into utter darkness, where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, You may go, as you have believed, let it be done for you. And at that very hour his servant was healed. Jesus entered the house of Peter and saw his mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and waited on him. When it was evening, they brought him many who were possessed by demons, and he drove out the spirits by a word, and cured all the sick, to fulfill what had been said by Isaiah the prophet. He took away our infirmities and bore our diseases. That gospel comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8. Today's reading from church history comes from St. Augustine. This is our glory, the witness of our conscience. There are men who rashly judge, who slander, whisper, and murmur, who are eager to suspect what they do not see, and eager to spread abroad things that they have not even a suspicion of. Against men of this sort, what defense is there, save the witness of our own conscience? My brothers, we do not seek, nor should we seek, our own glory, even among those whose approval we desire. What we should seek is their salvation, so that if we walk as we should, they will not go astray in following us. They should imitate us if we are imitators of Christ, and if we are not, they should still imitate Him. He cares for His flock and he alone is to be found with those who care for their flocks, because they are all in him. And so we seek no advantage for ourselves when we aim to please men. We want to take our joy in men, and we rejoice when they take pleasure in what is good, not because this exalts us, but because it benefits them. It is clear who is intended by the Apostle Paul, If I wanted to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. And similarly, when he says, Be pleasing to all men in all things, even as I in all things please all men. Yet his words are as clear as water, limpid, undisturbed, unclouded. And so you should, as sheep, feed on and drink of his message. Do not trample on it or stir it up. You have listened to our Lord Jesus Christ as he taught his apostles. Let your actions shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. For it is the Father who made you thus. We are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hands. If then you are good, praise is due to him who made you, so it is no credit to you. For if you were left to yourself, you could only be wicked. Why then? You try to pervert the truth in wishing to be praised when you do good and blaming God when you do evil. For he said, Let your works shine before men, 
In the same Sermon on the Mount, he also said, Do not parade your good deeds before men. So if you think there are contradictions in St. Paul, you will find the same in the Gospels. But if you refrain from troubling the waters of your heart, you will recognize here the peace of the Scriptures, and with it you will have peace. And so, my brothers, our concern should not be only to live as we ought, but also to do so in the sight of men, not only to have a good conscience, but also so far as we can in our weakness, so far as we can govern our frailty, to do nothing which might lead our weak brother into thinking evil of us. Otherwise, as we feed on the good pasture and drink the pure water, we may trample on God's meadow, and the weaker sheep will have to feed on trampled grass and drink from troubled waters. That reading comes from St. Augustine. And this, I think, is something that's very important for us. As we look at what, on my end, looks to be an inevitability, uh, the day before the ruling is expected, and to you who are after it, perhaps your heart is troubled by what you've seen, uh, to realize that there is still a way to walk where we will not prevent others from coming to Christ. We walk a fine line in this day and age. Uh, I've seen some people who, who just want to bunker down and, uh, and really fight the battle even more, dig in to their, their language and their specific way of saying things uh, in a way that becomes antagonistic to those who, who don't hold to that. And then on the other side are people who want to completely let go of anything that seems offensive uh, and, and rush wholeheartedly into embracing lifestyles that Scripture can never affirm, that truth can never affirm. Rather, what we're called to do is to walk in relationship with people, to, to be patient, to be shining lights, uh, not people of judgment or condemnation, but people who exude hope the hope of salvation, the hope of the gospel, uh, the beauty of truth, of walking in virtue. It's a tall order and a difficult path, but one that ultimately will bear fruit for the kingdom of God. When we come back, we're going to be talking with our favorite anonymous guest about this topic. Uh, He's going to give us some insight into how we can live in a way that makes an impact. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. We've got a very busy show today, and our favorite anonymous guest is back. We're playing the name game again today. And so we're talking today with Nigel Hightower IV, uh, who is uh, calling from a secret bunker uh, in South America. And uh, welcome to the show, Nigel. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So uh, we we pre recorded today's interview just because of time constraints. And so by this point in time, uh, it's most likely that the Supreme Court of the United States will have already come down with its decision on uh, the case before it regarding same-sex marriage. Uh, That's a a case that you are very familiar with, and you're very familiar with some of the restrictions uh, that governments can place on speech regarding that. And so we just wanted to talk a little bit today about some of the implications. First, of what may be the case if the Supreme Court went ahead and and mandated same-sex 
uh, marriage be recognized by all states. But then we also want to go forth and say, okay, uh, now if this is the case and uh, this becomes the law of the land, how do we then proceed uh, to uphold the gospel in a way that uh, that gets through, that cuts through all of the red tape, that cuts through all of the, the potential landmines, as it were, and gets to the heart of the topic. Oh, that's a lot of stuff. Well, that's that. That's my job, just to inundate. <laughs> okay. Oh, man, I should have brought some notes. First things first, and we break it down here. First thing I wish the whole world could know is that if, if we start to panic and start running around like the sky is falling, that will not help us, okay? Mm-hmm. People need to know there is a better way. We can come out on top of this, actually, believe it or not, if we shift our focus. See, right now, people are focused on this matter of redefining marriage. Right. And what people are not thinking about, and people need to think about, is the role of identity mm-hmm. and how we see ourselves because that drives our behavior. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Now, before we get too far into this, uh, you brought up something very interesting there. You know, there, there are some folks who may think that this is like the last straw and, and they're getting uh, nervous about this being that the, the dissolving of the family, as it was known. And there was an interesting article in the Wall Street Journal last year put out by actually a Methodist pastor. Uh, and the, basically it was... The, 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 the idea of the article was if you're trying to save marriage, uh, you're too late. That uh, homosexual marriage uh, is not the, uh, going to be the trigger that, that results in the degradation of the family. Rather, it is the result of the degradation of the family already having taken place. And so yeah, we, we need I, to set our sights to... uh, elsewhere. I... Go, I'm just go right so excited. Ahead. I got three things from that. That guy's exactly right. We're focusing on same-sex marriage when we should be focusing on things that led up to the social transformation to this point where marriage is divorced from the idea of of bringing family and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about like back in the 60s yet. That's one thing. The second thing, I want to make sure your listeners know, I'm not saying that it doesn't matter. When I say don't flip out about this, I mean keep your heads cool about this. That's, I'm not saying that this is not important or we should just be, re- be relaxed and stuff. What I mean is that if we mishandle this, we're going to drive away our youth. That's the point. So we have people who are flipping out about this, and the young people are seeing this and saying, look at those stupid Catholics. They're, obviously they hate da-da-da-da-da, and it goes on and on. That's why I'm saying we have right. to watch how we respond to this. Now, some of, some of uh, my listeners may already be asking the question, uh, maybe they didn't catch the last show where you were on. Uh, why do you think that you have any insight into this topic at all? What, what gives you the, the authority or the gravitas, as it were, uh, to speak on this? So tell us a little bit about your own <laughs> investment in this topic. My own investment? Well, we could also always do guess and test, right? It's like, try... Try doing the things that I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that you won't do and see what happens. Okay? <laughs> I've already seen this stuff unfold. Yeah. And I've seen kids reject the faith of their parents and forefathers because of panic and mishandling, you know, mm-hmm. all the time. Uh, my own personal life, okay, here's, the, here's, the, here's the, the thing I think you're asking for. Same-sex attractions are a part of my story. 
Mm-hmm. Yet somehow, uh, against what the world had ever taught, I actually found that I have a home in the Catholic Church, and that's where I belong, and I strive to grow in virtue, because that actually has brought me peace. And uh, I know that to be fully open to Christ is to be fully open to virtue and see what happens and what God's plan will be for that. Now, okay. Anyway, <laughs> now given that, let's let's circle back around because you mentioned in the very first question that we're really talking about a question of identity, and, and that brings us together with your story to a place where we can really maybe unfold that a little bit more. Well, you know, I just saw I just saw an interview on TV clip a clip where the premier of Ottawa, uh, Ottawa no, the premier of uh, Ontario in Canada. Mm-hmm. She, premier, not the premier. I don't know what her story is. The mayor of something up there. She's she proudly com- proclaims from the pulpit that she's a lesbian and that's who she is. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is great. She's just told the whole world what it's all about. She's claimed this as an identity. Yeah, she's claimed it as an identity enough to define who she is now. She sees herself, you know, mm-hmm. and that's where our world is at. And it didn't happen overnight, and it's not even a gay-straight thing. Right. It's a general trend to be fi- to be focused on ourselves. Mm-hmm. In the set, and I'm not saying that people who identify as gay are selfish. I'm not saying that. But at the end of the day, there's an identity that's formed and developed that is anchored on our sexual attractions and our inclinations. I'm gay, this is who I am. Versus, this is something I experienced. And I would say that probably uh, that a great number of, of society that that choose to identify based on sexuality, whether they fall on the straight or the gay side of the spectrum, as it were, uh, really are focused on uh, on a selfish worldview. Because generally the way that culture pushes sexuality is about self-fulfillment. Uh, it's completely different than than the church's presentation of sexuality as seen through theology of the body or, or any number of other uh, writings. Exactly. And like I said, that's an entire worldview. And then you combine that with contemporary gender ideologies, I guess. Mm-hmm. And you have this idea that everyone is either gay or straight or somewhere in between. And that's how we should be seeing each other. And that our greatest purpose on earth is to come to self-fulfillment. Mm-hmm by coming to fruition in however we perceive those identities to mean for us. Right. Now, you tell me, where is Jesus Christ, King of the universe? Where is he in that picture? That's an excellent question. Uh, and, and it's something that I, I think that we often miss. Because I think Christ is calling us all out of the identities that we primarily are in naturally. And he's calling us out to a new identity. He says, behold, uh, you're a new creation. All things have become new. Exactly. And that's why it's way bigger than the topic of homosexuality or sexuality in general. It's bigger. It's bigger than that completely. You know, Paul has this statement, and he's talking about all the people who who won't go to heaven. And you hear this quoted specifically regarding homosexuality because that's one of the things in the list. And then there at the end, he says something that I think is just essential for all of us who claim Christ to remember. Uh, He gets through this whole list, idolaters, fornicators, everybody else will not see the kingdom of God. And he says, and such were some of you. Uh, And we get this mindset, uh, at least I've seen this mindset in Christianity, where homosexuality is the the cardinal sin above all other sins. And, And somehow we've put it in our mind 
that, uh, that those people need to be ostracized even further when we need to protect Christianity from them, when really what we need to do is to rely on the grace of God and to reach out to them uh, and offer that grace because we have just as much sin, albeit for most, for most of society statistically, it's a different sin. Uh, we still have that sin that leads to death uh, that we've received grace for. Yeah, that that's very valid. Of course, it's like there is this isn't the sin, right? And and just to clarify, so that it's not a misnomer for your listeners, uh, to say that homosexuality is a sin, I want to clarify that. Okay. Okay. Like to experience a particular attraction is not a committed sin. Like that doesn't include that doesn't entail an, an act of the will. Right. But to self-identify as something and to make that your identity. That does include an act of the will, and that's that sin of idolatry, okay? Right. Now, it is a big sin if—I <laughs> mean, I'm not the one to judge the culpability of a person, okay? Mm-hmm. That's God's job. But at the end of the day, you have this one particular movement going on that's drawing people to self-identify and define themselves according to their sexual attractions and their inclinations, and getting them to claim that identity for themselves, and that's getting them to feel that it is their purpose to live and f- find fulfillment in a certain way. And for some of them, that includes getting into those types of relationships, which are intrinsically closed structurally, okay, mm-hmm. to the possible fulfillment of how their bodies were structurally created. And that's where that whole matter of intrinsic disorder comes in. I know it's basically illegal to say that homosexuality is disordered, so I'm not exactly saying that. What I'm saying is that the inclination to do something that's closed to how our bodies are structurally designed for, so that prevent our bodies from fulfilling their purpose as structurally created, that is what the church is talking about when it's talking about intrinsic disorder. Now, something I'm noticing here, uh, Frederico, is that you're being very specific with your language. And it's something that our soundbite culture really... Uh, on the one hand, it necessitates uh, because everything is twisted out of context. But on the other hand, it, it, uh, it isn't very common. Most people are very glib with their words uh, without giving it a whole lot of attention or thought as to, to why they're using the words they use. Now, you come by that honestly because uh, the place in which you live already has very strict laws about what kinds of things may be said and what kinds of things are deemed discriminatory. By all appearances, we are on the cusp of that ourselves. So kind of give us an idea of how you're able to to proclaim the truth in your context, which may be our context very soon. We can talk about identity without going to jail. You can't talk about behavior anymore without getting in deep trouble, okay? So you can't talk about things through this behavior is moral and that's immoral. Okay, mm-hmm. Those days are over. You can't even speak about uh, this is what the church teaches, or otherwise you're going to be facing some huge sanctions. Now, the way to get beyond that is to help people understand that when the church is talking about natural law, it's not talking about what feels natural. It's talking about what has been created in nature, structurally. We're coming up on a hard break here, but when we come back, we'll continue to talk with Frederico, our anonymous guest, about this very important topic. Join the conversation over on Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls or Twitter. The handle is at Outside the Walls. And we'll be right back after this break. You are listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putman. (laughs) 
Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Thanks for sticking through the break. This is a pre-recorded show just due to time constraints. Uh, and so my guest and I today are talking about the Supreme Court's decision on the constitutionality of same-sex marriage bans in several states. And we are on uh, the front side of that before the, the decision has been made. But you are most likely listening to this show after that decision has been made. Uh, so it's likely the talk of the nation as you're listening. I'd like for you to join this conversation by joining us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. And uh, you can also find us on our blog, outside the Now, this is a, a very uh, pressing topic, and we have to decide now how we're going to respond. Our guest today is anonymous uh, by choice, so we get to name him. Uh, today we're calling him uh, many different names, but the, uh, f- we're going to say uh, F- Frederico uh, Bertone, <laughs> and he is coming to us from his secret bunker in Zimbabwe. In the previous segment, you talked some about identity, and, and we, we did a whole show on that uh, a few months back that uh, that y'all can go and listen to if you missed it, uh, and we get quite a bit more into the importance of identity and how identity is really uh, at the very basis of everything because you can't choose a behavior uh, before you really have identified in a certain way. But now I want to turn our attentions to a different question. Once this does become an issue in terms of law, uh, how do we then uh, proclaim truth uh, when everyone is set against us? So, Frederico, this is something that you have specifically firsthand knowledge of. So help us understand uh, how do we moderate our language? How do we uh, speak the truth in such a way uh, that it is, one, that it will be received, and two, that uh, we stay out of jail? <laughs> I laughed about that. and That's not actually funny, but it's just something that's on the horizon, I guess. Um, you know, that brings up a point. We don't need to be unnecessary martyrs about this. We need to be very smart about how we handle this, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, some people out there are going to go down to the grave shouting out, you know, shouting out the truth in ways that are going to be just incredibly abrasive. Now, there's a better way, right? When Jesus would rebuke somebody, they never went packing. They would follow him and want for themselves to transform their lives. Right. Now, if we can strive to model that somehow, then we might be in a much better position. The short story is, with these laws coming down, you're going to have things like, um, if you oppose what these laws are mandating or what these laws are upholding as value, then suddenly you're effectively an enemy of the state. Right. Okay? And uh, that's not a very good place to be in, <laughs> especially down where you guys are because there's lots of guns. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, okay? There's a way to to talk about this that won't uh, get you in as much trouble as otherwise. And the number one thing, basically, is to transform our approach. Instead of saying, well, the church teaches this, the church teaches that, you just can't do that anymore. As you know from these, like, mutinies happening inside schools, Catholic schools with the student population who's been completely brainwashed by contemporary gender ideologies, they can't handle it to, to hear what the church teaches, okay? What they can handle is to say, why don't we come to understand what the church upholds as truth? You hear that very clearly, okay? Because it separates the idea of the church teachings from church inventing its own teachings. Right. If we start talking about what the church upholds as true, it's such a subtle thing, right? 
but it can influence the critical mass of people. And that's, that's who really matters on this issue here, okay, right. is the minds of the critical mass. Get them to see that the church, what the church teaches actually is a matter of up, upholding of objective truth and most probable truths based on logic. Mm-hmm. And suddenly when the church has a position, it's something reflective of logic and not something invented by a bunch of old guys back in the day. Right. Okay? It's so subtle, but it's so powerful. You know, and you bring up an important point there, uh, one of logic and philosophy, which really are at the bedrock of, of our faith, and yet most people don't see that. Uh, and part of that, I think, is because we have a culture that assumes that truth is relative and that what may be true for one person is just their opinion, uh, and there, there's not this concept in our culture of objective truth, something that is true because it is true and it's true for everyone. And that's really fascinating to me because on the other side of our culture, we have the arguments about science uh, where they view science as objective truth until you find science that someone doesn't like, right? And so we have this concept of, of truth that is skewed. Uh, and so people think then that our faith, our belief is something that, uh, that we've just made up because it feels right to us. Well, let's continue on from this point. What else can you offer us uh, to help us wrestle with this idea of proclaiming truth in a way that will be received and that won't get us into trouble? The next thing is just to realize that if you talk about things and like that's moral and this is immoral behavior, you're probably also going to be dead meat. Mm-hmm. The, the time for that has passed. Our entire modern world is not going to receive that. The only time that would be appropriate, of course, is if somebody is invested in following Christ. Now, our secularized, relativistic world is not those people. So talking like that is not going to help. In fact, like I said at the beginning, if we mishandle this, we're going to send our kids packing. Our kids are being formed by a TV show XYZ and a general cultural feel. They're being formed to believe that if you're not overtly supportive of, of all of this stuff, then you must be an enemy. And kids are rejecting the faith because of that. Right. If we can draw our kids to see that, A, media doesn't accurately represent the church, B, uh, there's an invested interest in people to capture their minds. They need to know that they're being targeted. Right. You know? How else would they ever have their defenses up if they don't know they're actually being targeted, right? And then we need to make sure that they understand it's always okay to ask questions and that the Catholic Church invites all people to, to an uninhibited journey towards greater truth. See, those will destroy myths like crazy. Because a lot of people are saying the Catholic Church indoctrinates. You have to indoctrinate your kids to be Catholic. Otherwise, no one would be Catholic. It's quite the opposite. You find that the people that are most, most uh, hostile against the Catholic Church know the least about the Catholic Church and are most closed to understanding the Catholic Church. I'm sure your, your listeners can understand that and appreciate that, right? So that's, we're, we're, we're basically in the den of wolves. And that's, that's how it is. And it's probably going to be like that for the next several generations. So the real approach would be buckle down and pray, lead everything with prayer, prepare for the next several generations of persecution. And we'll just rise from the ashes when the time is right. You know, you have, you've spent a considerable amount of time talking with church leaders around the world about how to moderate language in such a way that it's received. And that's something I think we, we often miss is that every little word has a nuance. Every little word has a, a whole uh, load of baggage that comes along with it. And not everyone receives words in the same way uh, that we express them. 
That's something that I say to couples who are going through marriage preparation, which is just as important for a newlywed couple as it is for someone addressing a difficult topic, is this. Mm -hmm. Just because you expressed something doesn't mean it's been communicated. And so how do we, uh, how we spend our time choosing to express ourselves is going to make a difference in how it's communicated. And it just so happens that if something is not coming across in the way that we're expressing it, it isn't the fault of the listener. Uh, It's something that we need to do to moderate our language in such a way that we communicate the fullness of grace. We communicate the fullness of the gospel, not just proclaiming it, not just expressing it, but communicating it. Any final thoughts? Yeah, that's so true. And you know, it goes beyond the words too, right? Because even listening to this interview we're doing here, I mean, I'm sure your listeners can hear that I have, maybe I'm a little, you know, business is business, or I sound a little frustrated in my voice or whatever. Uh, I'm not just, you know, rhythmically joyful right now. I mean, I am joyful, but I mean, my voice is pretty, you know, the tone of my voice speaks something just as much as the words do, right? Right. And those are the kinds of subtle nuances. There's everything. Like when you're writing, there's the word choice, there's there's tone, there's the voice, there's the, all that kind of stuff that at all matters. And you're right. I mean, I, I'm sure I could have said a lot of things differently in this interview. And I'm also thinking of a particular audience. Um, but, um, you know, I'm going to keep going and learn from that. Right. Yeah. Uh, we all have to become super well versed in how to approach this topic. And honest to God, the very first thing needs to be transforming our language so that every chance we possibly can, instead of talking about who's gay or who's straight, we're talking about who experiences this attraction or that attraction. Because as soon as we do that, we bring the matter to something to, about homosexuality. We, we, uh, we illuminate for the whole world the matter that attractions experienced are not specifically chosen, but embraced identity is specifically chosen. That is a huge objective truth that is upheld by our church that is the world just is just barely coming to know right now. But you know what, with that gal that was faking being black, and then Bruce Jenner, uh, or Caitlyn Jenner doing his thing, the matter of identity and how we identify has really come to light. Now let's yeah. bring it back to sexuality so people can see, hey, the church acknowledges you don't physically choose it, we're not imposing shame on you, but for the love of God, love God, and, and put him first in your identity. Yeah. See, those things, we won't be able to express unless we have the language to do it. Right. That's the thing. You know, in Matthew 10, Jesus sends out the 12 disciples and he says this, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. It can be easy to forget that we live in a world of skeptics, uh, a world that does not receive and accept the teaching of the Catholic Church, even the people next to us in the pews sometimes. And so we have to moderate our discussion. We have to um, to be aware of the words we're using so that we are always extending the grace of God. First, extending the grace uh, and inviting people into truth to walk alongside them. That can be a difficult thing, uh, and yet it's our call as disciples of Jesus Christ. When we come back, we're going to continue this discussion on this very important topic. You can join the conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls, or our handle on Twitter is at outside the walls. When we return, we're going to be giving away a book, Getting the Marriage Conversation Right by William May. So stick around. 
You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Thanks for sticking through the break. We have just a little bit of time left together today. Today we've been talking about the Supreme Court's decision on the constitutionality of same-sex marriage bans uh, and that's effect on same-sex marriage. Of course, this show is pre-recorded this week because of time constraints, and so I'm recording it before the decision's been made, and you're listening after the decision has likely been made. Uh, And so you have more information than I do currently. But what I do know is that uh, in, in our first segment with our anonymous guest, he said, we have to be careful not to flip out. I'm going to phrase that a little bit differently. I think we need to step back a little bit from the whole uh, fray and look at the broader picture. Remember, in last week's gospel, when we were together, uh, we read, do not worry about what you will wear, what you will drink, what you will eat, uh, all the other things, but seek first the kingdom of God. Uh, And so that's what we should be about. And Christ said, who of you by worrying can add one moment to the span of your life? And the answer is none of us can. Uh, And so we need to take a different look a different tack as we approach this conversation and other conversations. Rather than getting stressed out and worried and and wired, uh, we need to step back and, first of all, at the very beginning of this, pray. Pray every day uh, that God's kingdom would come, God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, The second thing that we need to do is to examine the way we speak about this. In our language, are we acknowledging the dignity of every human person, uh, even those with whom we disagree? And that should be the very first thing we do before we open our mouths, is to make sure that in our speech, we're speaking in a way that, that lifts up every person's dignity. Now, then beyond that, in the many conversations I've had with our anonymous guest, one of the things that he says is most important uh, is to remember to strive to be living examples of why someone would want to pursue a deeper relationship with Christ to begin with. Christ drew people to him because he was winsome. Uh, he drew people to him for so many reasons, and we can do this in an authentic way, uh, even as people may persecute us or, or speak ill of us or make things difficult for us by making sure first that we forgive those who persecute us. Uh, and while that may be easier said than done, it's what we are called to as disciples of Jesus Christ. Whatever we're called to do, we radiate the peace of a life anchored in Christ as we pursue virtue. You know, it, it does no good for us to call other people to virtue if we ourselves are unwilling to live virtue, a chief among the virtues being charity. Uh, and so when we live that way, others want to have that kind of peace. They want to have that kind of charity. And so we proclaim the gospel through our virtuous lives. And when it's appropriate, when we have relationship with someone, then we can begin to speak into their lives. Now, one of the things that I want to offer to you today is an opportunity uh, to help sharpen your language. How can you speak about this? We're going to be giving away a book today called Getting the Marriage Conversation Right. And it's it's a way to dialogue about marriage using non-religious terms. 
And so this is a great book from uh, William May. And the question that we're going to ask today, you can answer this on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. You can answer it on Twitter, Twitter. Our handle is at outside the walls, or you can give us a call. The comment line is 918-928-KPIM. That's 918-928-5746. And answer this in the catechism of the Catholic church, how many paragraphs are dedicated to the topic of homosexuality. Uh, go ahead. All those paragraphs are going to be right together. It won't be hard to find. Uh, how many paragraphs in the Catechism of the Catholic Church are dedicated to the topic of homosexuality? Uh, you can even Google that, homosexuality, CCC. That stands for Catechism of the Catholic Church. And they'll pop right up. You can count them. It won't be a, a problem at all. Uh, out of the, the 23, 2600 uh paragraphs in the catechism, how many of those are dedicated to the topic of homosexuality? Read them carefully, answer with a number, and the first person that gets that to me will get this book out to you, Getting the Marriage Conversation Right by William May. We're also on Facebook uh, going to be posting several articles that I have found helpful in addressing this topic. Uh, one of them is from First Things. Uh, you've, there, there's a documentary that Courage put out uh, that's very helpful called Desire of the Everlasting Hills, and we'll put a link to that on our Facebook and Twitter as well. And then if you or someone you know uh, experiences same-sex attraction, this has been uh, something that you have wrestled with, uh, that you have maybe even identified as someone who is gay, then I want to encourage you to take a look at an organization called Courage. Uh, you can get to their website at couragerc.net. And on that website, they've got all kinds of resources, uh, whether you yourself experience same-sex attractions or whether you are a family member or a loved one or a friend of someone who experiences same-sex attractions. Lots of great resources there. Uh, it's a wonderful Catholic apostolate that comes at this topic uh, in a loving, compassionate way, striving for a life of virtue. And I think that that's the most important way that we can address this. Now, in addition to moderating our language, looking at the way that we speak about this, in addition to spending an immense amount of time in prayer, uh, asking for God to bring health to our nation, to bring health uh, to our society, there's one more thing that you can do. And this, uh, this line I've stolen, this comes from a documentary, we talked about it last week, and it's this line right here. The way that we change the world is by raising better kids. Uh, to live with a firmly Catholic identity, to, to spend time praying with our kids, to, to not just have the practices of faith, but to live lives of faith, to get them involved uh, in the faith and, and give them opportunities to have conversion of heart, to where it's not just about the facts and figures and the, the, the right answers to the catechism questions, but that it's about an intensely personal relationship with Jesus Christ, where that encounter with Christ makes a difference in their lives. And that's the way, ultimately, in the long run, that we change the world. Well, that's all the time we have for the topic today, and certainly it was not enough time. But let's continue this conversation over on Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls, or on Twitter, the handle is at Outside the Walls. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.